الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين نحمده ونستعينه الحمد لله في الأولى وفي الآخرة الحمد لله أولا وآخرا يا رب لك الحمد كما ينبغي لجلال وجهك ولعظيم سلطانك وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله تفرد بالربوبية والألوهية إله واحد رب واحد وهو الذي في السماء رب وإله يعبد ويطاع وفي الأرض رب وإله يعبد ويطاع وأشهد أن سيدنا وأولنا وسابقنا وشهيدنا محمدا صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم عبده ورسوله وما كان الله ليعذبهم وأنت فيهم وما كان الله معذبهم وهم يستغفرون من يطع الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا مضل له ومن يعص الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا هادي له اللهم اجعلنا من الذين يستمعون القول فيتبعون أحسنه Amma Ba'd Dear brothers and dear sisters Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says and this is speaking to his final and beloved prophet يا أيها المدثر قم فأنذر وربك فكبر وثيابك فطهر والرجز فهجر ولا تمن تستكثر ولربك فاصبر These are the first ayat in surah al-mudathir in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is instructing his last prophet to basically discharge his responsibilities. And at the end, the last ayah here says, وَلِرَبِّكَ فَاصْبِرْ And Persevere for your sustainer. 
and the Prophet of Allah. May Allah's peace and blessings be upon him and upon those who are devoted to him. Spent a lifetime of an extended struggle in which he did not cease for one moment his responsibility that came to him in Ghar Hira when it came to him first. And attributed to him, and this is the the gist of the khutbah here, attributed to him are many hadiths. And these hadiths that are repeated and that are, are in many cases presented to supersede the Qur'an itself. These hadiths, as we have mentioned previously, these hadiths need to be studied, need to be scrutinized, and need to be selectively sorted out. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says concerning his guided prophet وَمَا يَنْطِقُ عَنِ الْهَوَى إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا وَحْيٌ يُوحَى The Prophet of Allah when he speaks he doesn't speak his words do not spring from an ego وَمَا يَنْطِقُ عَنِ الْهَوَى إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا وَحْيٌ يُوحَى It is nothing but a revelation presented to him. But we wind up after all of these centuries and generations we wind up today with some hadiths that are sahih, authentic, genuine, and valid. And some others that are forgeries, fabrications, and fake. And many Muslims do not want to face this fact. with all the pain and agony and anguish and angst that has been coming our way from all directions some of us refuse to take a bold step outside of traditionalized religion relying upon the guidance of Allah in the Qur'an and the goodness in us. 
to bring a mental sieve and filter these hadiths. I'm going to give a sample of some of, before that, let me explain something. One category of hadiths, they call them hadiths, they're in the hadith books. One category of them is called Isra'iliyat. These types of quotes lodge themselves in our books of hadiths because of the influence of Bani Israel from the outside or their influence from the inside. Meaning, some of these sentences that we say are hadiths were acquired by Muslims from Bani Israel. And these Muslims attributed what Bani Israel said to Allah's Prophet. From inside, individuals from Bani Israel became Muslims. And they brought with them that history, that culture, that tradition, they brought it with them and inside the house of Islam, they implanted their Torahic knowledge in the literature of Hadith. That's one category. Another category is what is called Hadithan Mawdu'a. Al-Hadith Al-Mawdu'a. That is a hadith that Banu Israel had nothing to do with, basically. These were other individuals. They may have been scholars, they may have been judges, they may have had positions. They attribute something like words of wisdom in many cases to the Prophet. The Prophet didn't say it. But because in their own selves they find there's a lot of meaning in such a statement, then they come and say, the Prophet said this. And even though the statement may have much to learn from, but if the Prophet didn't say it, he didn't say it. And we have now, in our world, we have people who are in positions of power who pick, in this area, in this specific area, they pick on these types of statements and then they brush the Muslims with this broad brush of accusations and calumni. For you to get a sense of what I'm saying, let me quote for you a few examples. One of this hadith mawdu'a 
says Ahbib habibaka hawnan ma asa an yakuna baghidaka yawman ma wabghud baghidaka hawnan ma asa an yakuna habibaka yawman ma for those of you who don't understand or cannot follow the Arabic, this statement has a lot of meaning in it. It is constructed in superb language, but the Prophet didn't say it. The meaning of this quote is be fond or love a certain person but mildly don't go to the extreme in your love for that person because it may happen that in the future you will hate him or dislike him and dislike a person with no intensity don't go to the extreme when you hate someone or you don't like someone because it may be it may occur in the future that he will be your friend this quote teaches that no one should go to the extreme of extremes in their passion towards someone else whether it is on the side of liking someone or whether it's on the other end of disliking someone don't do that because you don't know what will happen in the future we are human beings are volatile in their emotions so don't think you are going to stay in one emotion for the rest of your life. The Prophet didn't say that. Even though there's a lot of meaning and a lot of wisdom and a lot of lessons in this statement. The person who said this was an Imam Ali, alayhi salam. But it wasn't the Prophet. So don't attribute something that the Prophet did not say to him. Now, there's going to be some people entertaining in the back of their mind. Well, yeah, I mean, it's basically the same. Two persons live together, one family, one household, one past, one present, etc. But the the honesty of the issue is don't mix these together it's like saying an ayah from the Quran is attributed to the Prophet an ayah is from Allah it is not from the Prophet you can't do that in in sorting these things out we are not trying to discriminate we are not trying to prejudice individuals when it is done in good faith because a lot of this is done in good faith but still even 
though that is the case, whatever the Prophet did not say has to be omitted from the books of hadiths. Another statement attributed to the Prophet which he did not say, كَأَنَّكَ بِالدُّنْيَا لَمْ تَكُنْ وَبِالْآخِرَةِ لَمْ تَزَلْ This also is quite a significant statement. It means consider that in this world you barely exist and in Al-Akhirah you always exist. That goes into almost the definition of feelings and time and place. Consider you are just temporarily in this world. But temporarily here is almost non-existent. But then consider you're always in Al-Akhirah. The Prophet didn't say this. It has much merit. The statement has much merit to it. But the Prophet didn't say it. Who said it? Omar ibn Abdul Aziz. Still, it has to be filtered. Another statement that is attributed to the Prophet. And this statement is so famous that almost everyone who listens to it thinks the Prophet said it. And it has much meaning, it has much benefits, but the Prophet didn't say it. And he said the statement is Al Ma'idatu Baytu Da Wal Himyatu Ratsu Kulli Dawa. It says the stomach is the domain of every disease and diet is the first choice of remedy. The Prophet didn't say it. Even in today's world, in in the world of health and medicine and all of this, people can understand the merits and the value of this statement. And people attributed this to the Prophet and it was said by Al-Harith ibn Kilda, one of the most famous, you may in today's language, one of the most famous doctors in the first centuries of Islam. But the Prophet didn't say it. Another statement that circulates around in in particular circles, Kuntu kenzan makhfiya fa'ahbabtu an u'raf fa'khalaqtu al-khalq فَعَرَّفْتُهُمْ بِي فَعَرَفُونِي Also, a very significant statement. You'd have to extend your imagination a little to understand it. 
and maybe trespass some of the barriers of logic. This statement says, it's, it's attributing the words to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He, he, he says, Allah says, I was a concealed treasure and I wanted to be known. So I created the creation. I created life. And then I disclosed myself to them, to the people in life. And so they, they came to know me. There's much of Allah's closeness to man in this statement and care for him. And there, there's much dignifying of man in this statement. Much dignity attributed to us in this statement. But the Prophet didn't say this. This is a well-known Sufi statement that circulates in Sufi circles. With its very good meanings, still the Prophet did not say it. That's concerning al-hadith al-mawdu'ah. People attributing, we're not here to judge people's intentions or their motivations. That's beyond the issue here. In, in the Israeliyat, not in al-hadith al-mawdu'ah, al-hadith that comes from Israeli Torahic and Talmudic literature there's hadiths like there's so called hadiths like the ones we just heard one of them says ma wasi'ani sama'i wala ardi walakin wasi'ani qalbu 'abdi al-mu'min Sounds reasonable. The Prophet didn't say it. What does it say here? The translation of this uh, it means the heaven. There was. There is no room in the heavens and the earth for me. But there is room for me in the heart of my committed Muslim. It's not a hadith. It has much. To adore, and it comes from Israeli sources, but it's not a hadith. And then you have other things that we have in our hadith literature that are in our tafsir literature. One of them is the age of the world is 7,000 years. Where did that come from? We have a surah in the Quran, Surah Qaf. And we have in some tafsirs, we have the explanation of Qaf as being a mountain that surrounds the earth. 
Anyone who knows anything about the earth knows that there's no mountain around the earth. So this conflicts with this so-called hadith, conflicts with the information that we have today. There's Surah Noon, and there's a tafsir for Noon. What does Noon mean according to the invalid hadith? Noon is a whale that has the earth on its back. Hadith! People think these are hadiths. Some of them appeal to you and some of them strike you as odd. There's a there's some hadiths that are obviously they obviously appeal to some people. One of them is Man Ashika Wa'afa wa katam thumma mat mata shahidan. This may appeal to people in love. What this means is if a person falls in love, then he conceals it. He's chased about it. And then he dies, he dies as a martyr, a shaheed. Is this a hadith? Are these hadiths? And then we have some instances in our early history. We have some instances that I want to mention to you. Harun al-Rashid, one of the kings of the Abbasi dynasty, was once, and this if you look at those who are obsessed with falcons in the Arabian Peninsula today, they go hunting and looking for falcons, they put them on their arms, they have them fly a distance and come back and all of this stuff. Well, that was being practiced way back then, during the time of Harun al-Rashid, but it was done with pigeons, not falcons. So one day he had his pigeons, and he was releasing them into the air so that they fly back to him. And there's a judge by the name of Abu al-Bakhtari al-Qadhi. He enters into the quarter of Harun al-Rashid and he sees him doing this. He's in action. So al-Rashid asks him, is there anything in your memory, have you memorized any hadith about what I am doing? He said, Verily, the Prophet used to have these pigeons fly to and from and to him. And Rashid was wise enough to tell this judge 
if you are not from Quraysh, I would have fired you. Of course, I'm translating with the translator's license here, but that's the meaning of what he said. If you were not a descendant from Quraysh, I would have fired you. These are, this is a sample of some, there's many of this, just brought to your attention a few of these so-called hadiths that are still circulating. I'm trying, as a humble brother, I am trying to bring this to your attention when there are hundreds of millions of Muslims who when they listen to these, they think these are hadiths. Simply because they are found in these books of hadiths. And no one has come and said, let's sit down and begin a serious and an honest effort. Of course, you have to be qualified. You have to have the necessary knowledge and the necessary heart to go through all of this. And then at the end, not as an individual, not as a few individuals, but as a recognized committee of Islamic scholars who can do us the service of not being exposed to the fallacies of attributing things and statements to the Prophet which he did not say. وَمَا يَنْطِقُ عَنِ الْهَوَى إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا وَحْيٌ يُوحَى مَا آتَاكُمُ الرَّسُولُ فَخُذُوهُ وَمَا نَهَاكُمْ عَنْهُ فَانْتَهُ قُلْ إِنْ كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهِ فَاتَّبِعُونِي يُحْبِبْكُمُ اللَّهِ and to conclude this first khutbah, I would like to tie it with the time frame that we are in. There is this hadith that is attributed to the Prophet and some people were asking last week, last weekend was Ashura and they were asking about what is this about fasting on the day of Ashura? Because also in the books of Hadith, there is a narration pertaining to Allah's Prophet upon his arrival in al Medina from Mecca, fleeing the danger there. People, the Yahudi community there was fasting. And then the Prophet asked, why are they fasting? And the answer came that this, they are fasting because of their appreciation and thankfulness that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had rescued them from the pursuit, the deadly pursuit of the Pharaoh. So the Prophet in response to that, we are told in these types of inaccurate hadiths, 
the Prophet says, but we, it behooves us more than them to honor Musa. So we will fast this day. This has so many holes, this narration has so many holes in it. One of them is the Prophet did not arrive in Al-Madinah in the month of Al-Muharram. The month of Al-Muharram was during the time of Umar ibn al-Khattab, the second successor to the Prophet. That was the time when we had what we have today, quote-unquote, an Islamic calendar. There were 12 months, and these months were there. But, and they were the same ones that we have today. From Al-Muharram, the first month, until the Hijjah, the last month. But the year did not begin, the, the year of the Hijrah was not recorded until the time of Umar. And he decided to record it with the beginning of Al-Muharram. That was some an ijtihad. That was an ijtihad which no one took issue with and which no one should. There's nothing wrong with that. But the time, if you go back to the history books, the month in which the Prophet arrived in Al-Madinah was not Al-Muharram. That's number one. Number two, the Yahudi calendar and the Islamic calendar are not the same. The Muslims have a strict lunar calendar. And this lunar calendar gives us around 355 days a year. The Yahudi calendar is an admixture of the solar and the lunar together. So how can the 10th of Muharram, which is a lunar day, coincide with the 10th of whatever mixture of lunar and solar year that they have? Number three, with all the information information coming to Allah's Prophet about Bani Israel, in the narration that we just covered, why does he believe Bani Israel in that in that being the exact day in which they celebrated their exodus and their salvation from Egypt? He just took it like that for granted, knowing the shenanigans they are involved in. So why? Why do we have this in our books of hadith? Fasting and and being happy for Bani Israel on the 10th of Al-Muharram. Why do we have that? We have it because it was meant by the Umawi dynasty to cover up their crime which they committed on the 10th of Al-Muharram. They gave us this and it's still with us. You, you see people who are more concerned with fasting on the 10th of Al-Muharram, on Ashura, than any other voluntary fast of the year. 
This is what happens when we don't have our books of hadiths filtered by the meanings of the Qur'an. أقول قولي هذا وأستغفر الله لي ولكم ادعوه سبحانه وأنتم على يقين بالإجابة وتوبوا إلى الله إن الله تواب رحيم الحمد لله بجميع المحامد على جميع النعم وصلى الله وسلم على المبعوث خيرا ورحمة وهدى لكافة الأمم محمد النبي الأمي وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم On this occasion, before I begin the content as a transition from the first khutbah to this second khutbah as a follow-up thought concerning the word ala alihi wa sahbihi and what that brings to the minds of certain Muslims. Let's put it like this. And I'm succinctly stating it. I'm abbreviating the idea. You're familiar with the glass that is half full. Some people look at that glass and they say it's half full. Others look at the glass and they say it's half empty. When we mention the word al and the word sahaba, it's like looking at that glass. Because there's extremes here. Some One extreme says everyone from the time of the Prophet is a sahabi and there's a few, two A few exceptions. You can count them on the fingers of one hand. Those are the exceptions. Everyone else was a Sahabi. And then on the other side, you have everyone, well, mostly everyone around the the Prophet was a Munafiq. With the exception, you can also count them on your fingers. Both of these are extremes. They are inaccurate. There were much less Sahabis than you think. Some of you who generalize and think everyone is there is a Sahabi. And the others of you, there's much more Sahabis than you think. So both of you are at these two extremes. Take a step of rethinking and reflection on this issue. Today, the body of hadiths, and I'm not including the hadiths that are authentic and reliable, I'm talking about the hadiths that are attributed to the Prophet, which he did not say. All of these are patronized and sponsored and supervised by the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Not many people have the courage to come out and say this, but that's the truth. And the truth has to be said. This crown prince, who right now is calling the shots in the birthplace of Islam and the Prophet, 
he has caused so much suffering. He just, he's been there for a couple of years. And he's caused so much suffering to so many people that finally, finally, the United Nations, or one instrument, one department of the United Nations, has put the Saudi regime on its black list because it has killed so many innocent lives in Yemen. Almost 700 babies and children were killed by the Saudi military in Yemen. It took all this time. They, could, they couldn't see it a year ago, before that, when, they, when the Saudis launched this war of aggression and destruction. They fostered the Saudi criminals. They fostered this takfiri, kill the other, the other Muslim, the other Christian, the other Jew, the other non-Wahhabi, the other non-Salafi, kill them. Where did that come from? From that decrepit kingdom of the descendants of Saud. So now, just this week, they find there were three cells of their own fanatics in their own capital, in Riyadh. One was in the eastern suburb, the other was in the southern suburb, and the third was in the western suburb. And their security forces exchanged fire, and two of their fanatics were killed. They indoctrinate fanatics, they finance fanatics, and then they kill fanatics. In this propaganda saturation about women now by royal decree being permitted to drive in Saudi Arabia, the last country on earth where women are permitted to drive is there. And now we have much of the media focusing on this achievement it's not achieved yet this doesn't go into effect until the until june of next year meaning around next ramadan that's when it's going to go into effect and everyone now is speaking about this one of the issues in this regard is women now and and Pay attention how they, the decision makers there, how they sneak what they want to do under false information. The information in this past week that comes out, it is permissible now for women to give their electronic fingerprint instead of taking down the niqab off of their face in the courts of law and in other departments they don't 
they're told right now, you don't have to do that if you don't want to. They're not concerned with whether a woman wears a niqab or doesn't wear a niqab. What they are concerned with is they want women to go and give them their fingerprints. That's an invasion of their privacy. But they can't see it because they've been brainwashed. Their privacy is to wear a niqab. They can't understand that their privacy is to withhold giving that regime their fingerprint. All of this is done courtesy of the ignorance that is propagated from their masajid and their manabir. And then we have the University of Muhammad ibn Saud granting MBS Muhammad ibn Salman. The MBS University granting the MBS Crown Prince an honorary doctorate degree. And I quote, this is why they gave it to him, as was expressed by the dean of that university or the head of that university. He said, Because he has brought together the Arabs and the Muslims. And he has founded military institutions. And different types of alliances. In the meantime, when they are speaking about this, when they are doing all of this for the public to see, the son of Salman al-Awda, one of the scholars that they have there who disappeared I don't know, some weeks ago. He disappeared. They came to his house. He resisted. He did not want to go to them. They sweet-talked him into, we're just going to ask you some questions and bring you back, which they did not do. They did, they did not ask him a few questions, and they did not bring him back. So his son, Abdullah, goes on Twitter, and he says... We haven't heard from him, meaning his father, and we don't have any news concerning him since the time they arrested him or detained him. And all of this is done because now there's a buddy-buddy relationship between the 32-year-old king-to-be and the tycoon in the White House. You think he's only the crown prince no in addition to being the crown prince he is the deputy prime minister and when i read about this it occurred to me who is their prime minister we hear about a foreign minister we hear about a minister of petroleum we have the interior minister but then they present to him as the deputy prime minister who is the prime minister It's the king. So he's the deputy prime minister. He's the minister of defense. He's the chairman of the treasury for development, for general development in the kingdom. 
He is the chairman of the Council of Political Affairs, Political and Security Affairs. He is the chairman of the Council of Economic and Development Affairs. He is the chairman of the National Treasury for Development. What else you want to add on? Pile on. What else? All of this dictatorship is playing out in front of us. And we're not speaking about somewhere where we don't have our history, we don't have our hurumat, we don't have our muqaddasat, we don't have our prophet, we don't have his seerah. And then his father, now, who's in Moscow, goes to Moscow. I want you to listen very carefully. They are the ones that say they are promoters and admirers and supporters and defenders of Abi Bakrin and Omar, etc. and the Sahaba. Okay, that's what you say. What do you do? Tell us, what do you do? This king of yours goes to Moscow and they reserve the protocol people around the king, they reserve five-star hotels for him. He's staying in the Four Seasons Hotel around the Kremlin, in the area of the Kremlin and Red Square. They've also reserved the Ritz-Carrollton, which President Obama, when he went, went there, resided there, as did Donald Trump in his business years. What do they do for this entourage? One news report says there's 1,000. Compare. We said they, they champion Abba Bakrin and Omar. They champion them. But what does their act do? If Abu Bakr and Omar were here, they would lash out on them. They would flog them in public. At least if they wouldn't do something else. I think Omar would have done, done something else to them. What do they do? They change the furniture in these hotels. They replace the Russian furniture with their own national style of furniture. They bring in their own carpets, which they have a taste for. They replace the service personnel in the hotels who serve coffee or supposed to serve coffee to the king, they bring in their own coffee servers. Is this the character of Abi Bakrin and Omar? And the hotels canceled what they had. They had arrangements for weddings and for other social functions. They canceled all of that. Even some individuals who are living in the hotel, some business people, they live in hotels. These individuals were told during this time period when the Saudi delegation is in, you can't come to your room. Find another hotel, find another place. This is the character of Abi Bakrin and Omar. And all of this is reserved until the 8th of October.
And then, once again, they go back to women's freedom in the Arabian Peninsula, in Saudi Arabia. Ford, in the Middle East, Ford has a uh, subsidiary in the Middle East, has given one of the female activists in Saudi Arabia a free yellow color modern Mustang. That's another way of propagandizing an issue when they are more concerned with their crimes that they want to hide. Um Kulthum, which was an Egyptian singer, died in 1975, very well known. Now they're playing her songs. For the first time since 1979, why we say 1979, wasn't it always? No, it wasn't always like that. In 1979, something happened in that kingdom that caused them to sponsor and to regulate fanatical tendencies. The Islamic Revolution in Iran, the uprising in the Haram, the disturbances in Syria, the occupation and invasion of Afghanistan, the turmoil inside of Egypt, all of these things caused them to say, we don't want singers here in our media. Now the singers are back. The first one, Um Kulthum. And the ex-general who goes around, Anwar Ishti, who goes around explaining why Israel is a friend and Iran is an enemy. He says, and I quote, إِنَّ الْأَحْكَامَ تَتَغَيَّرُ بِتَغَيُّرِ الْأَزْمَانِ Regulations change with the change of time. وَالْمَمْلَكَةُ حَالِيًّا تَعِيشُ نَهْضَةً عَلَى كُلِّ الْأَصْحِدَةِ And the kingdom now is going through a renaissance in every sphere. And then the Saudi king appears on in his media and he says Rahimallahu man ahda ilayya uyubi wa hawatifuna maftuhatun li kulli muwatin This is his quote from him May Allah grace everyone who shows me my deficiencies and our lines, our phone lines are open for every citizen Well can't you see your aib and your deficiency thousands of miles away for 30 four years and this is a drop in the bucket what are you doing in Yemen what are you doing in Syria in Iraq in Libya in Afghanistan in Pakistan in all of these places what are you doing speak to us he can't put together an idea without being lopsided and without being discoordinated about it. Once again, they go in their media to the issue of women. There is a university there. It's They say it's the largest women university in the world. It's called Jami'at Noura bint Abdul Rahman. This is in Riyadh and its surrounding areas. It has 60 
thousand students in its different faculties, has about 34 faculties. Now they say they are going to establish a course in the university to teach women how to drive. And now there's reactions in that conflicted kingdom. There's reactions. Uh, in the social media, there's a trend there that says some are saying in the social, Saudis, in the social media that we encourage anyone to kill those who are going to begin to drive in the kingdom. One of the statements says anyone who encourages women to drive who are the youth the youth quote unquote he's a pimp that should be killed it goes on and on the question is why do they continue why isn't anyone capable of showing the public that the emperor has no clothes you go to moscow you king you say you are in the image of abi bakrin and omar among others you go to moscow and you take with you either a thousand or a thousand one five hundred we don't know news reports give us both of those figures you have an elevator that is you brought from the kingdom to take you down from your what appears to be a Boeing 747 and those stairs are made of gold and then it stops midway can't you think that there's a message in this and there's a plane that is flying every day between Riyadh and Moscow bringing 800 kilogra kilograms of food you're staying in a five Omar and Abu Bakr this is their character they're going to do something like this you stay in a five-star hotel only the, the reservations only only reserving the rooms cost three million dollars that's not including the food it's not including the maid service it's not including the spas that you are going to the massages that you and your entourage get this is the character of abi bakrin and omar any muslim in his elementary mind knows you're a contradiction you're a lie allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqan warzuqna attiba'ah وأرنا الباطل باطلا وارزقنا اجتنابه ولا تجعله ملتبسا علينا واجعلنا للمتقين إماما ربنا لا تؤاخذنا إن نسينا أو أخطأنا ربنا ولا تحمل علينا إصرا كما حملته على الذين من قبلنا ربنا ولا تحملنا ما لا طاقة لنا به واعف عنا واغفر لنا وارحمنا 
أنت مولانا فانصرنا على القوم الكافرين ربنا افتح بيننا وبين قومنا بالحق وأنت خير الفاتحين ربنا صل وسلم وبارك على محمد وآل محمد وصل وسلم وبارك على إبراهيم وآل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر فيها اسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعظكم لعلكم تذكرون ولذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون وأقم الصلاة الله أكبر الله أكبر أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حي على الصلاة حي على الفلاح 